0: The Nutritional Revolution podcast is hosted by Kyla Chanel, expert in nutrition, human performance, and sex differences in sport. Kyla is the founder of Nutritional Revolution and works virtually one-on-one with world champ athletes to weekend warriors on improving their nutrition and hydration to support their body's efforts and excel in life and sport. In season one, Kyla will open your eyes and ears to some of the formerly taboo topics in sports, for example, the reality of eating disorders, mental struggles, and how amateur to professional athletes who are trying to do it all, parent, run a business, train, and race, handle it, overcome it, and succeed. You can find helpful sports nutrition nuggets by following at Nutritional Revolution on Instagram or joining our monthly newsletter. You can sign up at our website, www.nutritional-revolution.com.
1: Today's episode features lifelong martial artist Anton Haley. Antone is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, has 15 years of kickboxing experience, and is a full dog brother. Antone is also an MMA coach and has instructorships in a dozen martial arts systems, including Krav Maga, JKD, and Kali. In addition to being a firearms instructor, Antone is also a competitive shooter. In 2019, Antone was able to secure four first place finishes in the tactical games. His first win came in the intermediate division in Mississippi. After that, Antone secured three consecutive first-place finishes in the elite division in Georgia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. His last two performances won him the Tactical Games Carolina Cup. In this episode, I talk with Antone about the tactical games, the role nutrition has played in his success, what his training is like, and what his future plans are. Enjoy! Enjoy! Hello everybody. We are recording and we are here today with Anton Haley and he <laughs> was a client of mine. We started working together back in, um, I think early 2019 and <clears throat> working on some nutrition for performance stuff, hydration. And, um, and my husband has known Anton for a while now. And he also, um, taught me, I think, I believe it's called an edged weapons class. Is that that. yeah. So we um, got some expert help with that. Um, that was a, a several years ago. Now I, um, all I remember is kind of like, I remember this thing.
2: <laughs> kind of,
1: yeah. For, for those of you who are listening, it's just a hand kind of swiping motion that I remember from the class. But again, it was several years ago, so I could be doing it completely wrong. Um, so I'm going to let Anton kind of introduce himself a little bit and dive into maybe Um, what his sport is it's going to be a little bit different than previous podcasts for those of you guys listening in we've done some interviews with like triathletes and endurance athletes and I think Anton has a really unique um, background and type of training that he does and I think this is a I think this is gonna be a really cool podcast for you guys to listen into so Anton why don't you let us know um, how you got into your sport and what what that sport is
0: Oh boy. So <laughs> the genesis of, of kind of what I do is really based in martial arts, right? So I've been a martial artist, you know, a serious martial artist since I was a teenager. I started when I was, you know, very, very young. And, uh, I was kind of a guy that just never stopped and kept going. And, um, you know, the, the long story short there, I think is, you know, as you're studying these kind of Uh, these older systems of combat at some point you come to uh, you come to a head or a point where firearms get mixed into the bunch and then you need to decide what you're going to pick up and what you're not going to pick up Mm -hmm. so for me I decided a long time ago that if you're going to pick something up you got to pick up the whole thing and for the last several hundred years firearms have been a part of combatives. they really haven't you know people try to create a separation there but you really can't they're they're interwoven and so roughly about the time I was in college I decided I was going to pick that up as well as, as kind of part of this this journey that I was on and I started shooting and then time went on I became a police officer I'm a, a, a cop here in in California in a large city and I was looking for kind of a method of methodology of training or how guys are staying sharp on the tactical side of the house you know the uh, how the tactical athletes are doing what they do and doing it well and through that process I stumbled upon an event called the tactical games it's uh, it's pretty unique in the shooting world it's probably the most physically demanding event that exists currently it's uh, a two-day event. There are at least six stages over those two days. And it's a combination of marksmanship and essentially physical tasks. So it'll be moving a sandbag or a farmer's carry, or there'll be a run, or there'll be a ruck march, or there'll be a rope climb, or et cetera, et cetera. And the stages can range from uh, you know a short stage with a few rounds and only three minutes to a 45-minute stage. You kind of, you show up and you don't really know what you're going to be facing. The tasks are not released ahead of time, so you know you need to put the work in and show up with uh, "I can do it" attitude, and you know, go for it.
1: Yeah, and so with the tactical games, for those of you who have never heard of it before, they um, they host it throughout several different states. Correct?
0: Yeah. So my my first year competing was 2019. I think my first event was in Mississippi. I competed in North Carolina South Carolina and Atlanta mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, yeah and so one of the things um, Anton needed help with was I think it was specifically Georgia was really hot and humid <laughs> and um, and so we worked on some hydration stuff there for for him to help with that piece of it um, but I think also with the circumstances of the environment um, I remember you texting me at one point and you know, you were out in, I think kind of sounded like the middle of nowhere and couldn't, couldn't get access to, or he ran out of his um, par- powdered carbohydrate source that we had referred to him that was kind of a portable um, carb source to use in between these events. And he ran out. And so we had him go to, I don't even know where, but grab some maple syrup, I think is what we ended up doing was kind of the resort, <laughs> last resort there. Um, and how did the maple syrup swap work for you? So I've had to do that twice
0: because (laughs) typically when, when I go to a match, uh, I have bags that are set up with numbers on them Mm. and it's what I'm going to consume right before the match and then right after the match and everything's measured out. So I just pull out the bag, I throw it in the shaker and all I need to do is pay attention to the clock so I can get the timing right. Mm. And I I think it happened twice where something was off or something didn't make it in the bag or measuring was wrong. And I was stuck without the carbohydrates, which, you know, if you're, I mean, it was a hundred plus at 80% humidity at both those events where it happened. And so your hydration and your, you know, my carbohydrate intake was, was crucial. Mm -hmm. And so I remember making that call. I called your husband and then your (laughs) husband was like, Oh, we gotta get, we gotta get the wife in on this. Yeah. And you told me maple syrup. So I said, okay. (laughs) And so, um. I remember laughing hysterically thinking of you in 110 degree heat at 80% humidity <laughs> drinking maple syrup out of the bottle, <laughs> uh, you know, prior to stepping on the field. Yeah. But, uh, you know, both those events I came in first place, uh, my stomach, I didn't have any issues with my stomach during the match. So it's awesome. you know, it's. A little bit of magic, but it worked. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. so with that kind of in a pinch situation, like typically with the maple syrup stuff, I mean, obviously most people with maple syrup are adding it to something else or diluting it one way or another, as opposed to drinking it straight out of the, the jar or however it's um, coming.
0: So fun fact, when maple syrup sits in a trunk and it's 100 degrees out, it's pretty liquefied. It goes down real easy. Smooth.
1: (laughs) Well, that's good. I don't know
0: smooth, but easy.
1: That's well. That's good, and I'm glad. So, with the tactical game stuff too, um, your first competition. There's kind of different tiers, right? So there's or different divisions, I think, right? And um, so the first competition. What was the name of the division that you competed in your first time?
0: So for the games, there's uh, for men's there's an intermediate division. There's an elite division, and then there's a division for uh, people that are 40 and over, and then there's one women's division. Okay. So when I went in in Mississippi, I really didn't know where I stood with any of this. I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went in in the intermediate, and I ended up uh, first place in that. And so the subsequent three matches I, I entered, I entered as a, an elite competitor, which was you know, kind of the, the, the top rung, so to speak.
1: Awesome. And you podi under took first in all three or both elite divisions as well. You're saying too, once you got.
0: Yeah. So I went, uh, four events. The first event in Mississippi was intermediate and I won that, uh, the three, uh, successive events. I was in Atlanta and then North Carolina and South Carolina as an elite competitor. Awesome. I was first place in those three matches. And then because I had won, um, North and South Carolina, there was, uh, it was called, it was like a cup series Mm. and whoever the, whoever had the most points over those two events, won what was called the Carolina cup. It was kind of like a a specialty award. Hmm. And so I ended up winning that as well.
1: Well, I didn't know about that one. (laughs) That's awesome. Very cool. cool. Um, so kind of to touch back a little bit on the nutrition piece of it and talking about hydration, um, what did you end up using for your hydration? Do you remember for Georgia?
0: I used whatever you told me to use. <laughs> you know, and it worked great.
1: Awesome. And um, I had in my notes too from our call, we had done some discussion about um, I think like your analysis test strip testing. Did you end up ever using that?
0: I haven't gotten there yet. Okay. Um, you know, <laughs> I think well, I just when when uh, when we talked one of the things i was so sort of taken back by was like how much there was to do right because mm, mm-hmm. it's like well what should i eat well it seems like a really simple question but it's not right it's yeah. okay well how old are you what, what kind of shape are you and what are you yeah. preparing for right uh, and it goes all the way down to you know what did you do the last hour and what are you going to do the next hour yeah so there's so much that goes into it so you know the all the information you gave me and then the program, you know, the programming that you wrote out for me, you know, I'm still a year later putting pieces of that together uh, to try to get uh, my performance uh, as optimal as I can. And it's, uh, it's easier to do it a piece at a time because then uh, it sticks and I stay with it. Yeah. And it's also fun to like, see the incremental changes. Mm -hmm. Like I remember when, training-wise, when we made the the alterations to hydration and then what I was doing uh, uh, Mm pre-workout for fueling, it made a huge difference in what I was able to do at practice. And so Mm -hmm. I entered into this real weird space that I've been able to keep where I was completely exhausted. I didn't feel like my body worked anymore, but I could somehow keep going and do the work (laughs) I needed to do. It's a very strange feeling. Yeah. But it's kind of it's kind of where I'm at and awesome. it's because of the stuff I put in.
1: Awesome. Yeah, that's great. And I think you're totally right on with a lot of that stuff is like when when I design a plan for a client I think a lot of times they get really excited and they want a lot of all the information but then yeah you look at all this information and there are so many pieces to it that when you kind of step back and take one piece at a time you're able to actually turn that into a habit really and and make it a bit more of a consistent pattern than um, kind of like an example is like people who dive, dive right into diets all of a sudden and It's like a lot of stuff and they try and go all in and then it's like, oh my gosh This is a lot of work and then kind of back away from it and let it go and then end up kind of cycling back or losing that habit so I think Losing any of that kind of motivation to keep doing it too. And so thinking it piece by piece, I think is a big um, important part of it, and you're saying like even a year later, you're pulling little nuggets out of it to kind of keep implementing, which I think is awesome and so yeah one one thing at a time, I think is kind of the the best way to approach it for for long term use too yeah, well
0: I, I think it's a process, right, so figuring out what to eat and when to eat it and what not to eat um you know it, it, it's a process that gets developed just like whatever your physical training is right, if you're lifting weights or if you're doing martial arts those techniques are evolving. And so should your nutrition, you know, yeah. be evolving as well.
1: Definitely. And so with kind of on the nutrition note there, um, prior to us working together and you reaching out, what, what do you think? I mean, I know from my notes, obviously in our initial conversation, but what would you say was like your main um, reason for reaching out and getting your nutrition help?
0: So honestly, like I never, like I looked at this next phase that I was trying to do is, uh, you know, athletically is a pretty major challenge. And I never thought of myself, as that great of an athlete? And so mm-hmm. I was like, well, I need every advantage I can possibly get here. <laughs> and so the food was a major part of it. And then kind of with that sentiment, you know, part of what I do is, uh, is a huge, huge grind. I mean, the, my training volume is, is pretty off the chart. Um, it was off the chart when I was a competitive fighter. It's, it's off the chart now as a, as a competitive shooter. And so, you know, looking at all the things I need to do and all the things I need to be fueled for, uh, being able to do those things safely, I guess was, was a big factor in trying to get in the right food. Right. Yeah. Because like when I was, when I was a competitive fighter, I think that when you look at it from the outside, you, okay, well, you just got to go to practice and well, that's true. Um, but we have boxing practice, we have kickboxing practice, there's clinch work that needs to be done, there's wrestling, there's MMA-specific material, and then there's grappling. And then within each of those subsets, there are further subsets, right? So with my grappling, I need to work uh, off my back. I need to work um, my guard passing. I need to work my submission skills. I need to work my escapes. I need to work my submission escapes. And so it's just – you you can't get by and be lazy, and you can't get by and do a little bit. Like I said earlier, you if you're gonna pick something up, you got to pick the whole thing up. And the only way to do that is if you're fueled right.
1: Yeah, yeah, awesome. And so when when I designed that kind of first plan for you, when you looked at it, this is a question I've been asking all of my previous um, interviews: is what was the thing you kind of looked at and saw in there, and you're like, oh my gosh, like I have to do what? <laughs> Did you have that moment?
0: So, not really. I mean, the volume was pretty large, but I eat I eat every ninety minutes as it is now. So you know, it wasn't a huge change as far as that goes. I think uh, the thing that's probably helped me more than anything was looking at carbohydrate intake. Like Mm -hmm. when I look at my macros, like I really was never eating enough carbohydrates to fuel what I was doing, and I think that um, it it kind of gave way to a cycle of of training a lot and training really hard and okay now i'm exhausted and i need to take a period off but okay now i'm good again and so since just making that adjustment to my macros right i'm i'm back you know double and triple days and i can i can push a lot further a lot more consistently because you know i know i have what i needed But when I first looked at the spreadsheet, I was like, what is, what is this? This is more carbohydrates than I eat all week. And you're having me, you know, before 12 o'clock, I'm eating this. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, you were right. So here we are.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm glad that worked. And I should say that that's a common theme is specifically the carbohydrates. I get that feedback from a lot of clients. And I would say too, like with your sport and your training is you're doing a lot, like every sport you just mentioned is all intervals of high intensity right and then even the style of like would you describe it as kind of crossfit ish style when you do your strength work stuff or how would you describe that
0: oh, that's an interesting question so no I mean I think that when I go to matches this is kind of a segue but when I go to matches I think that one of the reasons I'm successful is that I show up having prepared for the event I'm about to do. And I think most of the other athletes, they they play a different game. They think they're in shape, which they are, mm-hmm. uh, but they think they're in shape and then they show up to the event and they're hoping that the fitness that they got from the game that they play is gonna correspond. Mm-hmm. And you just mentioned CrossFit as an example. There's a ton of CrossFit guys that come out There's people that have competed in the, in the games, uh, very high level people. And I think it's, uh, I think it's an error. You know, I Mm -hmm. think it's an error to use something to prepare for something else. Mm -hmm. And so, um, a lot of the strength stuff I do is, uh, it's pretty sports specific. I may be in the weight room two days a week, uh, to try to get stronger. Mm -hmm. But, uh, like as an example, one of the events we had to move a sandbag that was around 180 pounds or so, right? Wow. And if you couldn't pick that sandbag up, put it on your shoulder and jog with it, you you weren't even in the running. You weren't going to be in the top 10 for that stage. And so that's one of those things where you can do a lot of deadlifts and you can do a lot of cleans and you can do a lot of whatever you want. But unless you're getting under that sandbag and you're practicing getting it on your shoulder and moving with it,
2: right?
0: Uh, every, everything else is going to get lost in translation. Yeah. Um so that's kind of one of the ways I, I kind of look at the the trend the preparation.
1: Yeah. I I think I mean I think that's really smart and I totally hear what you're saying there too with that and I've seen I think with CrossFit a lot of people look at that too as a very um a varied Type of training, right? But it and it does cover a lot of things, but like you're saying, it you know, it doesn't cover those specifics that you get to expose yourself to in the tactical game. So, yeah, that that makes sense. And so, with kind of touching back to like the nutrition of that type of stuff, is, is lifting heavy stuff, 180 pound sandbag, and jogging with it for a distance. And are you dropping that and picking it back up and jogging back, or what would be the, the next step to that? You think, or give us an example of like what one of your stages so- is.
0: I'll, oh, okay. An example of a stage. So everybody shows up with whatever they got, right? Whatever physicality they got and whatever skills they have. And so there will be different stages that crush different people, and different stages where people excel. Mm-hmm. And so one of the stages that that I had a difficult time with was um, it was one of the Carolina events. I think it was I think it was in North Carolina. We had to pick up a sandbag, it was around, I think it was around 180 pounds. You put it on your shoulder and we moved about 40 yards. Then there was a shooting array we had to shoot. Um, Then we picked the bag back up and we moved it about 50 yards and dropped it off. And then we had maybe a half mile run. We had a series of eight foot walls we had to jump over. Then the half mile run back, pick the sandbag back up, 50 yards, shoot the array, sandbag back up take it back to the start right and and then you were nice. done so you got to pick that thing up four times and you're moving it you know 200 ish yards right hmm. over the course of that yeah. and the last time I had to pick that up I just barely managed to get it on my shoulder I was hooting and hollering and screaming while I was trying to get it back right and so when I got back I bought a sandbag and I, you know, I started to work that because part of it is a skill, right? You got to, you know, have a, a good kind of fixed core deadlift technique to get the thing to your hips. And then you got to figure out how to use your hips to explode it on your shoulder.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
0: there's a tremendous amount of like unilateral core strength that you need to keep that thing on your body while you're moving. Right. Um, so for me, that was one of the more difficult stages that I shot, you know, for, for the other guys, like there's a, there's a guy that, that competes who's a, an Olympic lifter and he's a, he does strongman stuff. Oh, wow. So he, he, he picked that thing up with one arm and threw it on his back and just and ran with it. Uh, <laughs> so, so every, everybody's got their strength and weaknesses, but that, that was one thing that, um, you know, it was also the first time I ever picked a sandbag up that was that heavy before. Mm-hmm. And you're not allowed to touch it before the match starts. So I oh. didn't know how big or how heavy it was. They just yeah. said, Yep, yeah, pick it up and move it. Jeez. So uh yeah, here we go. and it worked out.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, a lot of that stuff that you're doing, we we would say that you're asking your body to go glycolytic, right? For these shorter distance, higher intensity, either lifts and runs or things like that. And by going glycolytic, that increases your reliance on carbohydrates within the, the muscle tissue. And so by making sure we are supplying you with enough of that stuff, I think that comes down to like, that just brings me back to the whole that's a lot of carbs, right? And so that's the, that's part of the reason for that. And, and, um, even with a lot of my endurance athletes, although they they, they might be doing intervals during their training, but that longer steady state stuff too, we still see in the research that the carbohydrates are king in terms of performance, even in, in that kind of style of stuff as well. So it's a common theme, I think in the, um, you know, athlete world is that if we're not utilizing enough carbohydrates or recovering with enough carbohydrates or consuming enough throughout the course of the day, we can kind of feel that um, bonking kind of sensation or, or kind of fatiguing out or heavy legs or things like that. So I'm glad that that worked out for you. And and so with the kind of back to the the tactical game stuff, how many different stages did you say you'll have in a day?
0: So you'll have at least three. There was one event where we had we had three stages the first day. The first day are usually the longer stages. And then the second day, usually the shorter stages. But in that particular event, uh, we had the end of the first day, three stages. And then they said, all elite competitors need to be here four in the morning, ready to go. So we just said, oh, great. Um, so you know, I'm coming from the West Coast. So it was like the time change was horrendous. Right. And we showed up, and it was dark, and we were all in the middle of a field, and there was a, a pile of 50 rucksacks, and, you know, okay, we kind of knew what was coming, right? Yeah. And so we started that day off with a, uh, you know, a five-mile ruck with, you know, 45 or 50 pounds, right? Jeez. So that was like, uh, that was one of the longer stages. Mm-hmm. And there was no shooting in that stage. It was just a movement. But, you know, that all got uh, computated into the scores, wow. you know, at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. Wow. And so with the kind of looking at all the different stages you've done over the multiple tactical games, what would you say is your favorite piece of it?
0: Or- so if I'm good at anything, it's moving like a moderate load over a pretty moderate distance. Mm-hmm. So if I have to you know, move a, a sandbag three miles, you know, I can do that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where I excel the the stages with longer runs, right, where it's like a mile plus in between your shooting, mm. uh, those are typically the stages I do really well in. And then, um, you know, the, the shooting, I mean, I'm consistent. I'm not necessarily the best shooter on the field, but I'm really good at shooting under extreme duress, mm-hmm. which is really what the tactical game is all about right after you you know, you do something like when I was moving that sandbag, that was basically me moving at max effort, you know, four times, and then having to figure out how to slow my heart rate, my breathing down enough to get the hits I needed. Because every miss is every miss is 10 seconds. And so, you know, if you're on a shorter stage where it's only three minutes and you miss three rounds, that's 30 seconds on a three minute stage. That's an eternity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Same thing if, you know, a stage requires a, a mile run if you drop two shots, 20 seconds that's an eternity for somebody to catch up to you, yeah. And so, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a balance of you know how hard you push and then what shots can you make,
1: yeah, yeah. And so, with the setup of the stages, what kind of time windows were you having in terms of like to recover nutritionally? Between was it, were you having like 30 minutes, a couple hours? Is it different all the time?
0: It's a couple hours uh, because all the different divisions need to cycle through, you know, the three stations. Mm-hmm. And so you'll show up there in the morning, you know, seven, eight o'clock, whatever. And, you know, you'll kind of launch and then there'll be a couple hours and then you'll hit the second one. And then, you know, you'll get out of there in the late afternoon, you know, your third stage. Yeah. And so it's an advantage in a lot of ways because I can, you know, I can really dial in hydration and nutrition in that time. I can get a lot of rest in that time. I think that there's very few sports you can play where you're gonna be more dependent on your gear than, mm. uh, than the shooting sports, right? So mm-hmm. it gives me time to square my gear away and make sure everything's working and yeah. everything's where it needs to be and configured for the next stage and, and all that. So that's kind of how it goes.
1: Yeah, and how much you, would you say your gear weighs or does that vary stage to stage?
0: So it's, it's mandatory for elite men that their body armor is 16 pounds okay. and they, they weigh it prior to the match. And then they'll also spot check kind of people as they go, just to make sure everybody's being honest. So you mm-hmm. have to have 16 pounds of gear on. Wow. You have to have a rifle. Uh, your rifle is going to weigh probably at least six pounds.
2: Mm-hmm. A
0: lot of guys build ultralight rifles oh, for the wow. matches. Because they know they're going to be carrying them, right? So um, a good example is like something on a <clears throat> on a rope climb. If my rifle weighs five pounds and somebody else's rifle weighs eight, you know that's an advantage that I have. You know, mm-hmm. particularly like uh, if I just did a heavy farmer's carry for a hundred yards and now I need to climb, you know, yeah. a rope two times. Uh, every pound is going to count, and so yeah. guys will make uh, lightweight rifles. And then you'll need your handgun and then whatever ammunition is required for the stage. Hmm. Uh, and then, uh, you know, ear and eye protection, you know, kind of safety equipment, yeah. kind of a deal. So you're probably looking at, you know, 30 pounds ish, plus or minus five pounds, depending on, you know, how lightweight the stuff you run.
1: Wow. Yeah. That, that adds that extra challenge in addition to your sandbag or whatever else they are having you carry there. So let's see. So with this kind of, we're in the midst of, um, for everyone listening, we're, um, we're recording this in May and we may 2020 and COVID is, um, in full, full force. Um, so did you have any races or competitions or anything like on the calendar this year before COVID kind of came to be or,
0: uh, not necessarily. Like this year was, you know, just cause of personal stuff this year was kind of going to be a slow start for me
1: mm-hmm.
0: They're this year. They're doing a national championship in Florida in November. Okay. But in order to compete in the national championship, you have to qualify at a regional event. You have to finish in the top five or 10. Right. Oh, okay. And so that was a goal of mine. I wanted to get out there, but then with COVID stuff, Uh, number one, like, you know, travel is shut down, gatherings were shut down in all states for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, work's been hectic as a police officer with, you know, all the changes in the schedules and new things we're doing with that. Yeah. So there's a match in South Carolina at the end of the month. And so I'm assessing if I can get out there, right, with mm-hmm. COVID issues, with work issues, with personal issues, yeah. I got to determine how safe I feel it is to fly.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and so probably, you know, the beginning of next week will be roughly like 14 days out from that. And I'll make kind of a go no go assessment as far as that that is. Yeah.
1: Awesome, that's exciting. And um, so, did they? <laughs> did they have to postpone the, the championships at all, or has it always been scheduled for end of the year? No,
0: they. It. It's. It seems like most people's attitude is that we're on the back end of what's going on in terms of restrictions. Right, mm-hmm. that could obviously change at any moment. Yeah. They did have to uh, move and postpone and cancel events earlier in the year, just with what was going on. Mm -hmm. But it's, if I had to guess, it's going to start to be business as usual, at least for, you know, the events I compete in, you know, hopefully.
1: Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll, we'll stay tuned to, to keep tabs (laughs) on, on the, the success there. And, um, how has your training changed or has it changed at all since the COVID situation?
0: So, you know, martial arts is kind of the base of everything I do, and so that is, is shut down at this point. All the martial arts gyms are shut down. They will probably continue to be shut down for a while, and it's pretty much impossible to maintain social distancing and do martial arts. It's just right. it's not going to happen. Uh, other than conditioning, it's very hard to train by yourself because you you, know, you need another person to get better. It's just how it is. So that's been very much put on pause. As far as tactical game stuff, I'm lucky to, I have all the resources I need to basically train on my own. I've got all the equipment and I've got all the space I need to be successful. And that's been a big part of being successful in the sport, you know, this, this far, thus far, I guess. And so I'm still training really hard. Um, You know, my, after last year, one of my, one of my, weaknesses was just kind of general strength so actually your husband helped me a lot uh, with that and with programming and with movement coaching and so I spent the last since last season trying to get stronger and then the last month or two going back to that sport specific training uh, to try to get all the techniques down and the tasks I got to do mm-hmm. and so if anything I've probably been training harder uh, because I can't I can't be in the martial arts gym
1: right yeah. so you eat more carbs then
0: so many times.
1: (laughs) Awesome. And so um, why don't, well, can you share a day in the life of of Antone in terms of like, what time do you wake up? What is your training? Maybe what do you eat um, for those interested? And of course, I'm curious too. So
0: So, because of what my schedule is like at work, everything goes in a big cycle, Mm -hmm. you know? And so on a work day, I assume you don't want to hear about a boring day, right? Which, would be a work day, <laughs> which you know, I I'm, I I'll get up, I'll work out, I'll go to work, and then maybe if I get home in time, I'll I'll work out, I'll do a light workout in the evening. I, I usually don't get home till twelve thirty at night, so it's mm-hmm. it's difficult to get that second workout in. Yeah, psychologically, I like to have my days be at least double days. Mm. Um, but like a heavy day for me, uh, not yesterday, but the day before. I ended up getting up around uh, nine. I usually eat really light, so I'll eat some fruit. One -hmm. of the things my nutritionist taught me was that bananas and oranges were the two things (laughs) I could get away with for fast-burning carbs. Yes. Uh, So I typically will hydrate right away and eat some fruit, and then I make a shake with uh, carbohydrate powder and electrolyte, Mm -hmm. and I'm drinking that. I usually drink about half of that prior to my workout. The other half gets drinking during. Mm -hmm. And so I was at the range that day. Uh, I try to focus on different, you know, different things every time I'm out there, depending on, you know, what my weaknesses are. Mm -hmm. So that day it was heavy farmer's carry. And so it was a 50 yard farmer's carry followed by a 150 pound sandbag carry. It was probably another 50 yards up and over a hill and back down. And then a 50-yard run to a shooting station, 50-yard back to the farmer's carry, 50-yard farmer's carry, and then another shooting array. And then I would do that again. Hmm. Um, and so I did, uh, the first one was three in a row, back-to-back like that.
2: And then yeah. I did
0: two, you know, rest and then two other sets of two.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm monitoring, you know, what I'm doing strength-wise and then what my, what my hit ratios are, right? And so... Mm-hmm. That was kind of my first workout of the day. Come back, uh, I gotta down all my gear and then it's uh protein shake with a bunch more carbohydrates because I just <laughs> worked really hard. And then that's usually my first meal. And even though it's late, it's uh, my breakfast.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
0: another thing my nutritionist taught me was that <laughs> uh, different types of protein are gonna assimilate faster than others. And so um, I like eating my eggs after kind of after that workout so I'll have a bunch of eggs and some more bread for more carbohydrates and there's some avocado in there and some turkey uh just a bunch of healthy stuff in a bowl pretty much awesome and so um I'll eat that and then I'm usually uh resting or doing errands or doing whatever I need to do and then I'll spin the whole thing back up again so I'll eat uh, another meal of fruit uh, another carbohydrate and electrolyte shake. And then that day I was in the weight room and I was doing um, heavy deadlifts and weighted pull-ups. And I forgot what my third lift was, Um, but that's what I did there. And then it was the same cycle, go home, protein, carbohydrates, another meal, rest. And then I usually eat a snack and then that night I went out on a ruck run. So it was 45 pounds for three miles. Jeez. Uh, and then I'm coming back, carbohydrates, protein, another meal, rest, and then another meal and then bed.
1: Awesome. <laughs> so so a lot that, of-
0: that's like, that is a like comically heavy day. I don't yeah. have a ton of those during the week, Yeah. Um, but you know, training will taper. And so like right now, uh, my volume is incredibly high. I'm training all the time. And then next week, it'll start to taper off. And then assuming I compete the next week, I'll have, you know, probably three or four days of full rest uh, mm-hmm. stepping into it. So the goal is that when you show up, everything feels light and goes really easy. That's mm-hmm. never the case, but that's <laughs> always the
1: goal. Yes. And do you program your own training or do you have someone programming?
0: I train it myself. I, I program it myself because... Um, Number one, there, there aren't that like the sports pretty new
2: mm-hmm. and there aren't
0: a lot of people that, um, are going to have their fingers on the pulse, I think of the yeah. sport well enough to really make good programming for it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's one, uh, number two, I was really successful previously with the programming that I just made up in my head on the way to the <laughs> range. So I'm going to, you know, kind of keep that going. Yeah. And, um, The other thing is that I constantly, constantly, constantly am criticized by my coaches, and rightfully so, for uh, my training volume being too high. Mm. And as I say it, or as I put it on paper, I get it. Mm. Um, It's way too high. But uh, now that I got the right food in me, uh, that helps. And I've also (laughs) been having that output for ever. Forever since I've been a martial artist, I've been putting in way more work than anybody was supposed to. Yeah, and so um, yeah, I think I have a good sense of what I can do and what I need to do to be successful. And so I just put it in action and I go.
1: Yeah, awesome. And um, let's see, what would you say? Just a little nutrition question. What's your favorite like meal on a on a training day? What does that look like? Is it is it the fruit you talked about, or what is a your eggs or
0: favorite meal? I like them all. I honestly, (laughs) well, I, I, there isn't anything I I necessarily like more than anything else because it's all like really super clean, healthy food. Um, but I, more than what the food tastes like, I like the idea that I'm eating the right thing at the right time so that a few hours from now I can pack up and I can go not only do what I need to do, but you know, keep expanding, you know, in, in whatever realm that is and keep getting better. And so I think um, for me, it's the, that's the feeling is it, it's not necessarily what the meal is, but knowing that it's the right meal at the right time to accomplish whatever my goals are.
1: Yeah. That's great. I wish, I wish everyone could uh, look at the, look at food that way. <laughs> that's perfect. And um, so a kind of funny final question that I ha- my, Sid helped me with this. This one, my husband um, is for you. If, what? <laughs> what is the animal you think you could take down in the octagon? And um, we had a couple options for you to select from. So we have a okay. kangaroo, a mountain okay. lion, or a grizzly bear.
0: I think the obvious choice is the kangaroo. <laughs> and why? And why? <laughs> You know, I figure the kangaroo, he's only hands. That's all he's got, right? Kangaroo, he's going to box yeah. at me. So I'm probably going to be able to uh, uh, maybe slip those punches and, uh, you know, maybe take him out at the legs and then yep. get on top of him. I mean, that's, <laughs> as I sit here, that's my plan. Uh, awesome. So yeah, I'm going to go with the kangaroo. All
1: right. Awesome. Well, um, so that's kind of the the end of our podcast here today, you guys, with Antone and um, learning a lot about the tactical games and his type of training, how he fuels and supports that. And um, if you guys have any questions about our podcast, feel free to put them in the comment section. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, um, or you can always message us um, or message Nutritional at Gmail if you guys have any questions for Antone. All right. Thank you, Antone.
2: Absolutely. Thank Take you. Care.
1: Thank you for tuning in. Today's episode was brought to you by... Just kidding. We don't have any sponsors yet, but if you're interested in sponsoring us, feel free to shoot us an email at nutritionalrev at gmail.com. That's N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N-A-L-R-E-V at gmail.com.